This week, we talked about Italy's first female prime minister, a crucial Senate race in Georgia, as well as Trump's next tussle with the January 6th committee. You were listening to Politics Schmolitics, and this was the week of 11 6 Hello everyone, I hope you've been having a nice couple of weeks, and although it's been some time, let us begin. For the first time in the country's history, Italy has elected a female prime minister. And while that's a big moment in any country's history, it's not all smiles. Georgia Maloney's victory also brings into power the most right-wing government since the days of Benito Mussolini, the infamous Italian dictator. Now, Georgia Maloney has been in politics since the age of 15, joining the youth division of MSI, or the new Italian social movement. Continuing on, at the age of 30, she was appointed to the youth and sport portfolio by Silvio Berlusconi, who is one of our future allies that we'll talk about. Finally, in 2012, after the current party she was part of, that party fell out of power, she decided to create her own party named Brothers of Italy. That name is based on the first line in the Italian national anthem. Now, back in the 2018 elections, Brothers of Italy managed to only get 4% of the votes. However, after another party's collapse in 2021, Maloney tasted victory with the right-wing alliance, which won 44% of the overall vote. And in America, that would have amounted to a loss. But the thing is, Italy doesn't just have two major powers. And due to the fact that no one political party ever has enough percentage or votes to win the election, they usually partner up and create alliances, which, you know, is something we don't see in America. So the right-wing alliance consisted of Forza Italia, which is another political party, and it also consisted of the League for Salvini Premier. And, of course, it had Brothers of Italy, Maloney's party. But Italy... The previous government was liberal. Italy didn't just suddenly turn into some right-wing country all of a sudden. The reasons we saw Meloni come into power was mainly because Brothers of Italy was the only mainstream party that was in opposition to the previous government. So that helped them garner some popularity. And as the left-leaning parties of Italy, the more liberal parties in Italy, they were pretty divided. But the right of Italy, they managed to unite, and that's what gave them the lead in polling. Now, Maloney's victory brings in the most right-wing government in power since World War II in Italy. But exactly how right-wing are we talking? Well, for starters, Maloney has often been called a fascist, which is a really far-right-wing idealism in where there's a government with a dictator having total power, with the opposition having been suppressed. And in her youth, she'd praised Benito Mussolini, an Italian dictator who'd allied with Hitler in World War II, and he was a prominent fascist in history. And to this day, her party's logo is a tricolor flame, which many see as a sign of enduring loyalty to Mussolini. In response to her party being aligned and her being called a fascist she released a video in which she said her party was more like the british tories britain's conservative party the u.s republicans who are actually pretty big supporters of her they've invited her to cpac and the israeli Likuds, which is israel's conservative party and in any other scenario you know comparing yourself with the gop and the british tories it, it would be a bad thing but looking at maloney and looking at who else she's being aligned with 
it's it's much better. And I think the world would much rather prefer another Trump than another Mussolini. She's talked about setting a naval blockade to stop migration from northern African countries, as well as saying she's against the LGBTQ lobby. And she often speaks about protecting the traditional family and has said a child has a right to a mother and a father. In addition to that, she said once in a speech, no to the violence of Islam, which is an Islamophobic statement. And even though she's a woman coming into office, Meloni still wants to roll back on women's rights and issues like abortion in Italy. To top it off, after Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, which was when Russia had occupied and took control of Crimea, which was part of Ukraine, she spoke against the sanctions of which Italy placed on Russia. And in addition to that, also praising Russia's government in her autobiography, which was released in 2021. Also, Silvio Berlusconi, one of her main allies we talked about earlier, has spoken about his friendship with Putin and has defended the invasion into Ukraine. And he's repeated Russian propaganda of this invasion and he's called it a special operation. And many were wondering, you know, would Maloney be pro-Ukraine? But coming into the campaign trail, Maloney has condemned Berlusconi and she's been supportive of Ukraine, which is reasonable as she has to stand by Europe and most Western countries. And she supported the decision of Italy to send arms to Ukraine when the invasion first began. Now, coming into power, Meloni doesn't have it easy. Italy is going through an economic crisis due to inflation, the large amount of debt they're in, and rising energy costs. Plus, Maloney's already having issues with one of her key allies, Silvio Berlusconi, and in a note, he called her bossy, arrogant, and offensive. Regardless, Italy has had 70 governments in almost 80 years. Maloney will be Italy's 11th prime minister in the last 22 years. And in order for Maloney not to become part of that trend, she's going to have to find the perfect balance to keep the economy under control, stay in good terms with NATO and the rest of Europe, and keep the people of Italy happy. Herschel Walker, a former football player turned businessman turned politician, recently faced off against Raphael Warnock in a debate. Now, we've been following Herschel Walker for quite some time on this podcast, and one of the reasons why is because he's not really like other politicians. Because unlike other politicians, Herschel isn't the well-spoken character we'd expect to see. And you can see this, you know, day to day when he was answering a question about gun violence and what to do to combat it. He responded, and I'm literally quoting what he said word for word. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at women that's looking at their social media? In addition to that, Herschel also has a bad habit of lying and not really backing down when exposed. He's claimed to be an FBI agent. He's lied about graduating from college. He's exaggerated their earnings as well as the amount of jobs his business has created. And his arguments against climate change went. And once again, this is exactly word for word what he said. Since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good airspace. Then now we got to clean that back up while they're messing ours up. To think this is the man that could be representing 11 million people in Congress. 
Walker, who on the campaign trail had been against abortion, he'd also been accused of pressuring and paying women to have abortion. So he's he's anti-abortion except when it applies to him. And to top it all off, Walker speaks out against fatherless household while he's been the cause of a fatherless household for four children. On the other hand, we have Raphael Warnock, who's the incumbent in this race. Raphael Warnock is a pastor and Last year, alongside John Ossoff, he sealed the Democratic majority in Congress when Democrats won both runoffs in Georgia. And currently, this race, it's one of the closest races in the country. And both candidates, they're polling very, very closely. But, you know, what better way to learn more about a candidate than a good old debate? So coming into debate, the expectations for Walker were really low. And in truth, he also helped set them that low because he was telling reporters, you know, that he's not that smart and that Warnock was going to embarrass him. But in truth, he performed much better than expected. Not to say it was like super good, but, you know, due to the bar being very low, he performed much better than expected. Walker tried to link Warnock with Biden by saying, I want you to think about the damage politicians like Joe Biden and Raphael Warnock have done to this country, as well as saying Warnock isn't transparent, unlike him. Walker during the debate also changes views on big issues like abortion to a more moderate standpoint, because originally he was supportive of a nationwide ban on all abortions with no exceptions, but during the debate, he switched his standpoint to supporting the Georgia Heartbeat Bill, which allows exceptions to abortions such as in medical emergencies. In the debate, Walker also acknowledged that Joe Biden won the election rightfully, different from the election-denying claims he's made before. Warnock, on the other hand, confronted Walker on many issues, and when Walker was talking about Warnock not supporting the police, Warnock fired back by saying, I've never faked being a police officer, referring to Walker's lies about his affiliation with law enforcement, and this caused Walker to pull out some sort of badge, and while doing that, he said, I am work with many police officers. And that, that's exactly what he said. And it is against debate guidelines to have props. But when the debate moderator reminded him, he responded by saying, it's not a prop. This is real. It was later revealed that that was just an honorary badge that his local law enforcement office had gave him. In the debate, Warnock also reminded, we've seen time and time again tonight, as we've already seen, my opponent has a problem with telling the truth. And when Walker slipped up and said, unless you're eating right, insulin is doing you no good, Warnock took advantage of that mistake and responded, I think we're hearing from my opponent tonight that it's their fault that these prices of insulin are being gouged. I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the fault of these pharmaceutical companies. All in all, the debate was an important one, but regardless, on election day, neither of the candidates managed to get the majority vote of Georgia, with Warnock leading the vote 49.4% to Walker's 48.5%, and we had a third candidate who took up 2.1% of the vote, so none of the candidates managed to get the majority. And in Georgia, the rule is if none of the candidates could get a majority, a runoff will take place between the two candidates four weeks later meaning December 6th will finally witness if the people of Georgia would vote for the political party over the actual candidate, no matter how unqualified they've proven to be.
And folks, that was pretty much it for this week. But I still do have one more weekly roundup. The January 6th committee, after over a year, nine hearings, and countless interviews later, have finally subpoenaed Donald J. Trump. Now, we've talked a lot about the January 6th committee on this podcast, covering almost all of the hearings, and lots was revealed, ranging from poll workers whose lives were turned upside down based on lies by Trump, all the way to Trump wanting armed supporters to be let into his January 6th rally, where he would later direct those people to the Capitol. Now, in these hearings, we've seen Trump's daughter and son-in-law, all the way to Bill Barr, former Secretary of State under Trump, appear. And there was news before about Trump supposedly wanting to testify before the committee, as long as it was live testimony. But subpoena, it requires something a bit different. The subpoena, it requires Trump to turn over text messages and personal notes talking about the riot or the joint session of Congress. But it also wants Trump to provide testimony under oath. Now, it was pretty clear from the beginning Trump wouldn't comply and that this would be taken to court. And it was with Trump suing the January 6th committee so he could block the subpoena. And in his words, he did that because the January 6th committee, if he was to comply with what they were asking, that would violate that would violate privilege protections that he had. And folks, that was pretty much it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to join our mailing list. All you need to do is send an email to politicsmolitics2020 at gmail.com. That email is located on the website in the description. Also, feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts, another way to give me feedback. And folks, just feel free to spread the word. You were listening to Politics Molitics, and this was the week of 11-6-2022.